All right, I think it's officially the time of year where we can say Merry Christmas to one another. So Merry Christmas. I would uh, like to start off our sermon uh, this afternoon with uh, just a very short passage from Luke. It's from uh, Luke 2, 24, but uh, I think I'll start reading in verse 22. And our whole sermon today is really just a single thought that comes from this passage. And it says this, When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took Jesus to Jerusalem to present him in the temple to the Lord, as it is written in the law. Every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. So let's spend about 15 minutes unpacking what God is communicating to us through this small detail that we might have heard and skipped over and then conclude our service with some more beautiful Christmas singing. Uh, one of my favorite all-time Christmas songs uh, is called The Fairy Tale of New York, and it's by an Irish band named The Pogues. Has anybody ever heard that song before? Okay, not a lot of people. I wanted to play a minute or two for you, but the Wi-Fi was a little bit goofy today. Uh, so maybe in the next week or two, you guys will have a chance to come across that song. If you do, I have to warn you. The Pogues are a punk band, and the lead singer has a terrible voice, He's missing his front teeth, and uh, the middle of the song has some vulgarity. Even worse, the middle of the song also has some accordion. <laughs> but if you can get over those two things, it's a great holiday song. And uh, the reason why I love that song so much is because it's the only Christmas song that I know of that's honest about the despair of Christmas. Sometimes we feel guilt and despair at Christmas time, and we feel that that makes us an outcast or somebody that doesn't understand what Christmas is really about. Let me just tell you a little bit more about the song. The narrator starts off by uh, saying that he's locked up in the drunk tank on Christmas Eve, you know, the little jail cell that the drunks have to go to. He goes on to sing about everything that's unfolding. His day started off great. He went to the racetrack. He won a bunch of money. But then he spent his winnings getting drunk. He had a big fight with his girlfriend. And now he sits in jail on Christmas Eve. And Christmas is happening outside. Like Christmas is going to happen without him. His life is filled with remorse. And uh, the song is about how the hope and the renewal of Christmas is, is happening outside. But because of his guilt, because his life isn't really all put together the renewal of Christmas is going to pass by him once again. So I just want to ask you guys, is there a part of you that ever feels remorse or guilt at Christmas time? There's probably a part of each one of us that can relate to the characters in that song. Sometimes we ask ourselves, will this Christmas be different than the last one? Will this be the year that I overcome the baggage that I've carried the last few years. And I think if we all take a moment to reflect, we'll admit that there's things that we do during the holidays to try to deal with that guilt or remorse that we all feel at least in a small part. Let me give you three quick things that I think have become as popular as they are because of the way that they sometimes help us deal with our guilt and remorse at Christmas time. Let me ask you guys this. What are the things that you do in the next week or so to pursue feeling 
spiritually new or spiritually well or forgiven. One thing that I really love this time of year is giving gifts. And even, even more than when people open the gifts, like once I know that I've bought all the gifts for the people on my list, maybe for the next week, I just feel a relational fullness knowing that all the people in my life that I love are going to get gifts that demonstrate my love and care for them. Like any day now, my brother uh, in Denver is going to go out on his porch and there's going to be some some frozen deep dish Chicago pizzas that we used to eat when we grew up. And he's just going to know for a second that that I love him and that I care for him. And I love that feeling of fullness that all these people in my life are about to get a reminder of how much I care for them. Um, Do you guys ever find yourself talking or thinking or anticipating or wanting a white Christmas? Isn't that weird? Like, we get so much snow here, but we all want snow on Christmas. And I think deep down, it's a reminder to us that if even a harsh and rugged place like this can feel pure and new, maybe on some level we can feel pure and new at Christmas as well. And what's the deal with New Year's resolutions? Isn't that tied to our desire to deal with our guilt and remorse? I'm not saying any of these things are bad, but if, if, we, if we, we, we tell ourselves, if I can just get rid of all those negative behaviors and sort of get my act together, this new year will be better than the last. Uh, so... I'm just throwing out there that these are some ways that we think that we can feel clean and spiritually renewed during the holidays. They're not bad, and uh, I, hope, I hope you all feel spiritually well and renewed during the holidays. Well, this evening's sermon is all about one beautiful detail in the story of Jesus' arrival. I bet you've heard it. We just read it. You probably haven't spent a lot of time thinking about it. Tonight's sermon is about how you don't have to miss the renewal of Christmas in the drunk tank. Tonight's message is all about how you don't have to miss Christmas because of guilt and remorse. Tonight's sermon from Luke 2.24 is that we don't play a part in Jesus' story because we have it all together. Maybe you're a hot mess like the guy in that song, and that's okay, because Luke 2.24 is about how Jesus fills our need to be clean and renewed. Uh, I just want to talk about this one verse in two quick parts. First, we have to talk about the historical context of what this two-pigeon offering is all about. That's a little bit strange and foreign to us in this year, 2021. And then in section two, let's talk about the insight and the application and the encouragement that comes from this reminder that Mary and Joseph didn't exactly have it all together, yet they still played a part in Jesus' arrival and the renewal that he brings for us. All right, let's talk about uh, what this two-pigeon or two-dove offering is all about. And let's do that by me just asking four quick questions and explaining what's going on here. Uh, the first question is this. What are Mary and Joseph doing in this part of the story? Jesus has already been born. I think it says that it's eight days later. And in Luke 2.24, it says that they went to Jerusalem, to the temple, to offer a sacrifice according to the law of the Lord. Now, at this point, we just have to mention really quick that uh, the sacrificial system during this time, during this era... It's how Jewish people felt clean and forgiven and spiritually renewed. And it's very foreign to us 
that you would sacrifice animals to feel spiritually fresh or forgiven or renewed. But if we're honest, if we went back in time, they would think that it's really weird that we think that a white Christmas or giving pizzas or making New Year's resolutions would lead to spiritual forgiveness or renewal. So if we can just all admit that we feel these things and pursue these things in different ways and different times, maybe that can help us enter into what's going on in this story. They still believed in the Old Testament, uh, Old Testament sacrificial system, uh, and they gave specific sacrifices at different times, and it led to them feeling forgiven and clean uh, in a way that's a little bit different than we look at it now. So, uh, so the next question is, what was the ideal sacrifice, or what was the objective that Mary and Joseph were trying to accomplish? And uh, it tells us, if you have time this week, to go back to Leviticus chapter 12. Uh, I won't read it now, uh, but there were two things that you were supposed to accomplish through a sacrifice all the way back in Leviticus. The first one is it says that if you had a, a son, if you had an infant, if you delivered a, a baby, the first thing that you were supposed to offer was a one-year-old lamb for a burnt offering. And the priests would kill that baby lamb uh, and they would skin it and they would cook it and uh, they would the meat would be used for different things. Uh, and that, that led to cleanliness. And so I just have to explain really quick. We sort of think of the, the dirty things in our life uh, in a combined way that they didn't think in Jewish times. Uh, we think of sort of the mess in our life as uncleanliness and, and also sort of the sins or the negative things that we've done to hurt other people. But in Old Testament times, in Jewish times, they thought of those as two separate things. Uh, and I'm almost done here. Uh, the first is, is there were two kind of states, spiritual states, that you could be in. Uh, you could be clean before God, or you could be unclean before God. And the different thing, and this is not the same thing as sin. This is not the same thing as rebellious choices. Uh, to be unclean before God could occur if you ate something that you weren't supposed to eat, uh, if you got blood all over yourself, if you touched something that was dead, uh, if you were in a house that was full of like fungus or mold. So the first offering, this burnt offering, it was, it, was a, it was a gesture to accomplish cleanliness in your life. And so you were asked when you had a child uh, to go down to the temple and offer a one-year-old lamb, which would bring you into that clean state. And just like we pursue spiritual wellness in ways that might have been foreign to them, this was the way that the people in that time felt clean or acceptable before God. That's what that first sacrifice was for. The second sacrifice uh, was the dove. It was for the sins. It was for all the things that you had done that made God angry. It was for all the things that you did that you, you knew better. And uh, we all know deep down that we've all done things that God has told us not to do. We all know that we haven't helped people in ways that God has told us to help people. That's the way that the Bible defines sin. And so the second sacrifice, this, this dove or this pigeon, uh, I didn't really know this, but a dove is just a fancy word for pigeon. They're the same animal, okay? So uh, you could sacrifice this dove or this pigeon, and uh, that was for your sins. Now you felt clean, now you felt renewed, now you felt forgiven before God. And what's really interesting to me about this detail is it tells us just a couple verses later in Leviticus 12.8 that if you were poor, that if you just weren't really uh, having everything together, 
If you were just a little bit down on your luck, but you still wanted to complete this requirement faithfully, it tells us in Leviticus 12.8 that if you were not able to afford or to bring a lamb, you could offer a second pigeon. Okay? You could still accomplish those two goals. So our third question is, what does Mary and Joseph present? And again, if you look back to uh, Luke 2.24, it tells us this, uh, And to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, they offered a pair of doves or two young pigeons. In other words, Mary and Joseph play a beautiful part in the arrival of Jesus they're faithful, they're celebrated by God, but they didn't even have enough for the standard offering. Their lives were a little bit down, they were a little bit of what we would say is a hot mess, but they still are beautifully playing this part in the arrival of Jesus and the renewal that he'll bring. Well, our final question here in section one is like, why don't we still do this? Is this sacrificial system still something that God's people are supposed to do? And it tells us a little bit later in the New Testament, in Hebrews 10, 11 to 15, why we don't still celebrate the sacrificial system. Because this baby that they're offering two sacrifices for would grow up and forever change the way that we look at forgiveness and renewal. There's a little bit of irony that they're offering sacrifices, forgiveness, and renewal to this baby who would one day satisfy that requirement. And it says in Hebrews 12, 11 to 15, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can't take away our sins. But when the priest had offered, uh, but when one priest, Jesus, had offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. For by one sacrifice, he has made perfect forever those who are being made holy. Um, so Jesus beautifully, this child grows up to beautifully end the sacrificial system. And I'd like to just wrap up for another two or three minutes sort of the insight and the application and the encouragement that we can take from this very small detail that Mary and Joseph offered the sacrifice of two pigeons. The first one is this. I think this detail is a beautiful reminder for each one of us that we don't play a part in Jesus' story because of our wealth or because of our strength or because of our orderliness. Right? Sometimes during this time of year, we think to ourselves, you know, maybe, maybe Christmas is going to pass me by because I don't have everything put together. Uh, maybe a time in the future will be a better time for me to get active in God's story because I'm short on presence or I've got a relationship that's a mess or I just don't feel like I have everything together. And I think the fact that Mary and Joseph had to pay the discount price I think the fact that Mary and Joseph had to pay the two pigeons because they didn't have enough for the one-year-old lamb, I think it's a beautiful reminder from the Bible's authors that we don't play a part in Jesus' story because of our wealth and because of our strength and because we're clicking on all cylinders. So if there's a relationship in your life that's a little bit messy right now, if you feel poor in faith or hope, if you feel incredibly discouraged, if you feel there's anything that you would just like to be a little bit more before you experience God's wellness and renewal and forgiveness, this story is good news for us. It's a reminder that we don't have to have that one-year-old lamb. If you're at a place where you just have the two pigeons, 
If that's all you have right now, that is enough to experience the renewal that Jesus has come to bring this Christmas. We know that this is something that's absolutely essential to the ministry of Jesus because this idea of the poor and the messy being the first ones to experience and accept Jesus is something that Jesus is passionate about all the way throughout his life. I want to read to you a beautiful story where Jesus explains this in his own words. And he tells a story in Luke 14, starting in verse 15 to 24. And this is just just Jesus reminding us that if you're at a place right now where you're just a two-pigeon person, that's enough. You don't need to have enough for the lamb and the dove. Jesus told a story in uh, Luke 14, 15 to 24, and he says this, When one of those at the table heard Jesus say this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. And Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet, and he invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, because now everything is ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. And the first said, I just bought a field, and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. And another said, Well, I have just bought five yoke of oxen, and I'm on my way to try them out. So please excuse me. And still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. And the servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, Go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you ordered has been done, and there's still even more room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel all to come in so that my house will be full. I tell you not, one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. So that is a rephrasing of what's happening here in Jesus' own words. Jesus is saying, I'm throwing a feast, and I want you to follow me, and I want you to have a place at that table. And it's not for the people that have everything put together. It's not for the people that just bought land. It's not for the people that just bought five yoke of oxen. It's not for the people that are relationally thriving. Jesus is saying in this parable that my kingdom and the renewal and the forgiveness that I offer is for the messy, those that didn't receive the initial invitation, those that are just standing around with nothing better to do. Those are the people that are going to accept this beautiful invitation. Uh, So I'd like to just kind of wrap it up with that because I think that's enough for us to contemplate tonight. And of course, just like we talked about how there were those two different offerings and one kind of made you feel clean before God and the other helped you feel forgiven before God uh, and how there's all sorts of ways in our own uh, cultural uh, era that we try to feel clean or we try to feel forgiven before God. What this story is all about is that even though Mary and Joseph were a little bit down, even though Mary and Joseph didn't quite have everything uh, operating out of a fullness, like all they had were those two pigeons, and that was enough. And that's the first beautiful part of this story. But the second and the final beautiful part of this story is that because of what that child would grow up and do, because Jesus would die on the cross, because Jesus would go before a holy God and he would be deemed perfect and he would take our place in judgment, now we can feel clean before God. Now we can feel forgiven before God because of what Jesus Christ did. So I hope that you feel relationally full because of the beautiful gifts that you're able to offer others. I hope that we get a white Christmas and that leads to you feeling serene 
on uh, Christmas Eve and Christmas Day. Uh, I hope that you do great with your New Year's resolutions, and I hope that you become an outwardly better person next year. But even if none of those things happen, what Christmas is really about is that even if you're just in a place where you just have two pigeons, even if you're down on your luck, even if you're in the drunk tank, even if you feel like Christmas might pass you by, the beauty of this story is that Jesus Christ grew up and died for us so that even in our mess and even in our guilt and even in our remorse, we can still experience that renewal and that forgiveness that we all long for And it doesn't come through resolutions and it doesn't come through behavior. It doesn't come through church attendance. It comes through what Jesus Christ would grow up and accomplish for us. All right. So I'd like to invite the worship team to come up and conclude our service. And uh, I love how even in a secular song like the fairy tale of New York, there's a longing. There's a longing for holiness. There's a longing for something better. And I hope every one of us can find that through what Jesus has come to do for us this Christmas.